Let's understand very well that when we talk about standing and raising our voice to the Lord, we have the joy of doing that together here corporately. But let's really know for sure that we are talking about a life that stands, a life whose voice speaks 24 7. That's what we're talking about. That's where we're going. And how cool is this? This is what we're studying about today. Open your Bibles to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. We're in the second week of kind of a mini focus within our full throttle series in this uh, on leadership. And a leader that is Christ's kind of leader is a leader that stands and worships him at work, at home, everywhere he's at. Who sings and talks of him, and it's just his life. Let me read our text. In fact, let's do this. Let's stand and read. Titus chapter 1. I'm just going to start verse 1. Paul, a servant of God... Jump down to verse 4, to Titus, my true child in the faith, verse 5. Titus, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Verse 6, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant, or quick-tempered, or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good. Self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Lord, I want to thank you for our time this morning in your word. It is the power. It is the truth. It is upon the thing which we stand. It is your truth upon which we speak of. Thanks for the time together. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, this passage is clearly continuing on this discussion about elders, as we talked last week from verse 5. This is a very easy point for everybody, or for most everybody, to click out and say, you know what? This passage isn't talking about me. I'm not in the office of an elder here at this church, and so I'm going to click out. Eh. Think about it this way. This is the kind of life that Christ is looking for. This is the kind of life, men, women, that contain the characteristics 
upon which every one of us should be pursuing after Christ. This is about full throttle for Christ. And whether I happen to be in the role office of an elder, or whether I happen to be a servant of Jesus Christ, a follower of Christ, every one of these things should be a part of what we're pursuing after. This is about all of us, yet also directed in a specific task that Titus has at hand. Okay, so everybody's on call today. If you want to know what the Christian life looks like, here we go, because we've got 14 things to talk about. (laughs) That scares me. If Titus was appointing elders, who are these guys? I mean, who are these individuals? How does he know which ones to pick? He's literally assigned to go from town to town following Uh, finding followers of Christ that meet a certain criteria. And so Paul lists out this criteria here. And let's just get started. Verse 6, the first two words, if anyone. Now, so Titus is coming in. He's talking about this concept of uh, elders. And he's coming in and it starts out and it says, if anyone. Now, when you and I hear the English of that, we think if anyone. I need to point out in this that the pronoun here is a masculine form. Every one of the adjectives about to come are in a masculine form. And in the Greek, you can have the choice. You can write it in masculine, feminine, or neuter. And I'm just telling you, this was a purpose decision. Here at Harvest, we believe that elders and deacons here are going to be men. Nothing against women. We just believe that this is a role that God has assigned men. And I'll just tell you straight up, in our culture, we need men stepping up to the plate. If an elder, if anyone, is above reproach. This is a very blanket term. This is You're going to see this word again here in verse 7. But above reproach. In the beginning here, uh, he's talking about this concept of a man with a life pattern that when examined, his life cannot be called into question. We're not talking about perfect. I mean, nobody would fit in here if that was the case. But we're talking about someone who has a life reputation that speaks of integrity, where he's the real deal of Christ. Men, real deal men. Women, real deal women for Christ. This is the kind of term in above reproach where his overall life is worthy of imitation. Just put it this way very practically. I want to be like him. I want to be like that guy when I grow up. However old you are, I want to be like that guy. That's what he's talking about, a big umbrella term here. So the very beginning, point number one in your notes, we're talking about an exemplary elder. This is following in the context from the word prior about elder. Titus, appoint elders. And if anyone is above reproach, this is a starting blanket term. And if we're going to find someone who is this kind of a guy, who's this kind of a Job-like guy, listen to Job chapter 2, verse 3. One of the coolest interactions. God interacting with Satan. Oh, cool. This divine discussion. And the Lord said to Satan, hey, Satan. Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth. A blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast to his integrity 
even though I've allowed you to incite him. Dude, that's a man. That's what we're talking about here. I'm just going to tell you straight up, when it comes to leadership in the church, God has high standards. Scares the tar out of me. Above reproach, an exemplary elder, and look where God starts in the home. Let's take a look. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife. Literal, the translation here is a one woman man. Some questions come out of this. Does this mean that an elder must be married? No. No. It's not saying that. Is this saying that a man who was married, and let's say his wife dies, and he becomes a widower, and then he remarries, and now he's married to a godly woman, and he's a godly man, and he's had one, two wives in life, that's not a one wife. Is that what we're talking about? No. I don't think that's what Paul's talking about here. In fact, 1 Timothy 5.14 actually talks about how Paul says you should consider as a widow. You should consider remarrying. So what's he saying here? Well, again, the, the term here is he's a one woman man. It's a man of integrity that is fully focused to his wife alone. We're talking about a one woman man. A man can be married and not a one-woman man. A one-woman man is a one-woman man in the use of his time, in the use of his speech, in the use of his actions, in how he conducts himself at work, how he conducts himself at play, how he conducts himself in the locker room, how he conducts himself with the kids, and how he conducts himself with his wife. He's devoted to her. By the way, I think we can assume in this that we're talking about a man who is married to a following Christ woman. The biblical principle is, is that you marry, do not marry someone who is an unbeliever. Is the, the wisdom that is given. Do not be unequally yoked. By the way, it's not talking about eggs. It is talking about two oxen that have a yoke. And that yoke, they are together driving for a purpose. And yet how oftentimes our marriages where one ox is going this way and the other ox is going this way. No, be equally yoked is what it's talking about. A one-woman man is someone who's singularly faithfully focused on his wife alone. That's what's being talked about. Well, what about a divorced man? Can someone who's divorced be an elder? I know that question is out there, and so I'm going to answer it. It depends. It depends. It could be that if there's been in the past an unbiblical divorce, wisdom may say that, you know what, this role, this office is not the place for you to be serving at this time. But pursue after this. Listen, I just want to make sure every one of these qualifications don't mean that if you meet the qualifications, you're in that office. Listen, harvest should be about hundreds of men meeting these qualifications. 
That's my objective today. My objective today is all of us pursuing after this. This is about all of us. And the fact of the matter is, is a few handful of men are going to be in, 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 uh, given this office, if you will. But hundreds of men are meeting these qualifications. That's the objective. That's the purpose. Uh, I'm off topic. But so on the divorce, if, if he's been an unbeliever in this past, and then he is divorced, and he comes to Christ, can he be an elder? I would say he could be. If he meets the qualifications and he's one of those where time has shown. I'm just going to tell you this text speaks of time. It speaks of recent time, but time. If they've been biblically divorced, I would view that as adultery. Matthew 5, 32, or for grounds of abandonment. 1 Corinthians 7, 15. I would say they're not disqualified. But I would say this. Wisdom would say we need to go and talk about it openly and straight up and look into it seriously. Why? Because God has high standards of leadership in his church. By the way, can I just remind us? Okay, I will. (laughs) The guy writing this was a known murderer. Oh, let's be careful. I'm not saying dumbing down character high character but let's be careful husbands i just cannot leave this point without saying if presently you're not living like a one woman man i want to love you enough to say repent repent god calls you to be a one woman but doug you no repent Wives, I want to call you the same. Are you a one husband woman? If you haven't been, repent. An exemplary elder is a one woman man. Text goes on. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his wife and his children. And his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Here we get into this kind of, if you will, second qualification. Very interesting words here. Let me clarify some of these words. The word children. Uh, The word children is is referring to an offspring of any age. By the way, for your notes, it's uh, with embracing Christ kids. With embracing dash Christ kids. The word child here, it's for any age. There's various words in the Greek. Some can be used referring just to very young children. This is one of the words that has broad generic use. By the way, it's interesting. Paul uses the same word in verse 4 when he says to Titus, my true child, the same word. It can refer to an adult child as well as a young child. Just keep that in mind. It's breadth. The second word is it talks here about believers. It's faithful. The actual Greek word is pistis. And out of this word, it talks about, when it answers, I think, the question of, so does that mean a guy can have good, reliable, like uh, 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 nice kids? Is that what this is talking about here? That when we're looking for this office, this is talking about a man with just good children, maybe not saved in Christ, but good quality kids. Is that what it's talking about? Here's the interesting point for me. Nowhere in Scripture is the word pistis referring to faithful or trustworthy used in connection to anybody in the New Testament except for a follower of Christ. 
Nowhere is it tied to someone who is referring to they have good character but are not a Christ follower. I'm just going to bring that in. It's very interesting to me because if this was talking just about a guy, a dad who has kids and you look at their kids and they go, man, they're good kids. I don't know if they're saved or not, but they're good kids. I bring in and I come in and say, this is the only part in the scripture where that word is associated with someone that would be unbelieving in this kind of way. I personally, I do think this is talking about children that are believers. But Doug, what about the situation as we know of in our past where there's a guy, a godly couple with five kids, four of them to this day, all grown, all married, all out of the home, are followers of Christ and one is in jail and has no interest in following Christ. What's going on there? Listen, it's the broad picture of this, folks. I just want to be careful. Okay, and I'm just going to tell you on the whole, this is the kind of thing where the children on the whole are followers of Christ. They've embraced and share the faith of their father. Why is this so important? Because listen, how do you know what a real man is like? Look in his home. And if I am not able to help my children, and I realize that it's about their heart. We totally realize this, okay? But in all this, if I'm working with my kids and through their problems and their life struggles, if I cannot help walk them through life and yet point them to Christ, ultimately it's their decision. No question about it. But if I'm that way, the question has to be raised. Should I be the kind of guy then that is leading spiritually The church that Christ bought and died for. These are the things to be considered. I realize these are heavy duty. By the way, I want to tie that into the next description. Not open to debauchery. The term here is about wild living, riotous partying. The term is used in 1 Peter 4.3. It's, and it gives these terms. It says in 1 Peter 4, 3, this word is used as saying uh, people who are described as people living in sensuality, lust, drunkenness, orgies, and idolatry. I'm just going to say this. That's a very hard thing to tag to a little kid. What's my point? I'm going to be careful with this, but I think the original readers, as they read this, they got a sense from the words selected and used. That when it comes to Titus grabbing these individuals who for, for the specific purpose are in this office of elders in a local church, I think there's a pattern of maturity that's to be there. There's a pattern of history of time. The next term it uses is not open to insubordination. Their children are not to be rebellious, fighting their, fighting their submission to authority, parents, and society, unable to be ruled. Two items. What if I have a child that's like that right now? Here's the thing. Go for their heart. Ministry is right before you. Love them. Work with them. Invest in them. Keep at it faithfulness oh thank you jesus that he doesn't trash me that he doesn't trash you and i but he keeps at it with us and i would just say in that case that now is not the time to be serving as an elder or deacon if you have a a, we'll say a challenging child why because invest it use that time i think that's clearly in my view what's coming out of here listen if now's the time where you have a challenging situation that's the place where you invest your time let others step into this role 
By the way, we're not saying that every wild kid is because of bad parenting. Shame on me if I say that. That's not where we're going. It can be, straight up, but it also may not be. Our kids, we talk about this openly, and if Emily's listening on the line, <laughs> um, Luke came out just happy as could be. You could have 10 of him. You just look at him and he just melts. He's so moldable. Emily, as we talk about, Karen and I, she came out mad. Man, she's a spitfire. And I'm so thankful for Christ. Love you. An exemplary elder is a one-woman man with embracing Christ's kids. Let's go on. I spent a lot of time in these beginning ones on purpose. These next ones we're going to be rolling. But I cannot leave with saying God starts in the home. Chinese proverb. Not that it's scripture, but it is intriguing. Chinese proverb said, it's harder to lead a home than a nation. True. Not inspired, but true. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and the children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Verse 7, for an overseer is God's steward. I want to hold here because I think Paul is making a bit of change in some terminology. Did you notice he uses the word overseer here? And in that term of overseer, this is a Greek word that has association with Gentile people. The word elder, presbyteros, that's talked about earlier, is a Jewish word. It relates to the Jews, goes all the way back into the Old Testament. In fact, in the Old Testament, when the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the Old Testament, they would use the word presbyteros us to translate that. They understood that. It had the focus of, of dignity and age to it, was a key factor in it. When you come to this word episcopus, which is overseer, it's a Greek word. It has the idea of a leader behind it. Each of these words have unique focuses to them. I think Paul has made a switch here on purpose for two reasons. One, because he knows that there are people that are going to be reading this that are Jews, and there are people that are reading this that are going to be Gentiles. And he goes at both of them using the terms for both. Secondly, I think Paul uses a changer because of what we're now about to blast through. It's talking about a leader. That's the focus. Listen, if you want a leader, there's five things you don't want in a leader, and there's seven things that you do want in a good leader. By the way, he says, for an overseer is God's steward. I love this word because in this word, back in those days when a Greek person was reading this, he automatically had a picture in his mind. And the picture in his mind was a guy like Joseph. Someone who in that day at a home where there was some wealth, they would have a steward put in place. This word was what that person was called. And that person was the overseer of the home. They were the overseer of everything. They were low status, oftentimes owned servants, and they were oftentimes freed servants, but having been owned at one time. In other words, they're low on the status pole. 
And yet they're in their home with huge responsibility. They're not just the butler opening the door. They are the butler that has responsibility for the home, for everything that takes place in the home, making sure the crops were planted on time, making sure the crops were harvested on time. They had oversight over the finances in the home. They had oversight over the wife and kids in the home. Boy, that adds a whole new perspective on Joseph and Potiphar's wife, by the way. And so when they heard this term, they understood this was someone with real responsibility, a leader. They're God's steward. It's God's household. God bought it. He paid it with his blood. And this is God's household. And so this is a person. These are persons that are put as stewards of God's household. That's why there's high demand or high uh, requirements. And they're to be above reproach, it says. For a leader is to be above reproach. Same term repeated again. Focus, emphasis, make sure we remember. So here we have an exemplary overseer. First part, we had an exemplary elder. Now we have an exemplary overseer, a leader. Five knots. Number one, it says, uh, must not be arrogant, not headstrong, not mafia-like. Can we get our picture up there? Not mafia-like. There's our dude. Not that. Not that way. Uh, not headstrong. This is a strong adjective, and it usually denotes an arrogant self-interest that asserts itself with disregard for others and God. Matthew 23, 11 says, The greatest among you will be your servant, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. 1 Corinthians 13, 5, Love is not rude. It is not self-seeking. Philippians 2, 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition. An elder is a servant steward. Guys, are you headstrong? Women, no elbow nudging. Ladies, are you headstrong? A leader is not headstrong. Second, a leader is not a hothead. The text says, quit tempered. A leader is not a hothead. This is a person that's easily prone to anger. They've got a short fuse. They walk around with a spirit of hostility. They're just like waiting and ready to blow. A couple verses, Proverbs 12, 10, a fool shows his annoyance at once. Proverbs 14, 16, a wise man fears the Lord and shuns evil, but a fool is hot-headed and reckless. Listen, a strong-headed, hot-headed person in no way exemplifies Christ. Third, an overseer is not a wine lingerer. Not a wine lingerer. The text says not a drunkard. But why do I say not a wine lingerer? Because the literal meaning of the word is at wine. Man, I'd love to talk about this for a while. Uh, but I just can't because of time. So I'm going to hit a couple things with it. At wine, it's the idea of being continually alongside something or a companion of something. In other words, don't be a person that's continually a companion of alcohol. It's the idea of giving undue attention to something. I want to be very clear. This verse and 1 Timothy 3 are not teaching total abstinence. Well, pastor, you're supposed to teach that. Uh, listen, I'm here to teach the text. I want to be really clear on this, and this may make some of you uncomfortable, and that's fine. I'm fine with that. 
But understand it this way, everybody. The word used here has a picture behind it as well, I think, that is critical to understanding this. The word at ready. It was used, a word commonly used with the stewards, the servants of the king. And the idea was is that they were to always be at ready for the king. At any point in time, the king could come without notice, and they needed to be ready right then. Think of a fighter pilot. Think of a fireman on duty. But here in that day and age, it was commonly known that it was somebody who was always to be right there on call. And they were to have their wits about them. And so if the king comes in and the king says, on duty, I'm to come up, I'm to be at stand, ready at stand at any point in time. That's the focus of the text. Someone who is ready to, and at all times has their wits about them. That's the emphasis. That's the push. That's the focus. I think that's the clear understanding of the text. And so here the point is, is an elder is to be someone who's ready to stand. I just make a comment. It's so interesting in our culture today with this weird companionship with alcohol. I mean, growing up in secular school and uh, watching my friends between freshman and sophomore years when the drinking started, and I just thought, what's the deal? And then at University of Minnesota and the kegger parties down the hall, and man, those are some of the, just went down, my roommate and I were in ministry, uh, students there trying to get some stuff started, and we'd go down to the kegger parties and just stop in. I'm telling you, they were the boringest things I've ever been to in my life. We would just be there to see what these guys are doing and what's going on in their lives. I remember in business and traveling and being at trade shows and watching adult men. And I'm like, you guys are just like freshman and sophomore year of high school. I'm just going to tell you, in our culture, we have an image thing about it. Whether it's I'm so sophisticated or whether I'm just one of the guys, I'm cool. I'm not a legalistic, uptight Christian, so I want to show you by having my beer in my hand on my Facebook page. Or I just want to let you know who I am. I can drink because I'm not one of those legalistic doofus heads. Can I just say something? What's with that? I just don't get it. I just don't get it. It so often becomes around, it defines me. Who cares? What's supposed to define us? That's right. Jesus Christ is. But the point of the text here is I'm not someone, an elder is not someone that lingers around. That's the point. They've got their wits about them ready to call. Wanted to take a little extra time on that. You can go home and now have a blast and talking over that one. Number four, an overseer is not violent, or they're not a bully. Not a bully. The text says not violent. He's not a fist fighter. He's not abusive. He's not mean, a retaliator, striker. He's not a bruiser. It has a physical emphasis here, but it also is verbal. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Lie. I hope you're not a bully. And I hope you're not a bully in your home. God's leader works to settle issues peacefully and reasonably, purposely and biblically, and sometimes forthrightly, but not a bully. Five, 
not greedy for gain, not, a, not greedy. I love the way the King James says it, not given to filthy lucre. <laughs> Doesn't that just sound rough? Not given to filthy lucre. Here it's talking about uh, not given to shameful gain. A man that seeks is not about a man who seeks his wealth at any cost. In those days, it was common for ministers who would travel around and use religion to make money wrongly. We have some of that going on today. And that's why I think one of the reasons that Paul includes that in here. Whoever loves money never has enough, Ecclesiastes 5.10. So, so far, where have we come? Here's what, God, here's what Paul has written. God's kind of elder is an exemplary one-woman man with Christ-embracing children. And God's idea of a steward, of a leader, is the kind of man whose life pattern does not depict being headstrong, hot-headed, a wine-linger, a bully, or greedy. But it doesn't end up just on the old can't-dos. It ends up on the what-you-gotta-be's. So let's hit seven of them here. You ready? One per minute. Here we go. Number one, hospitable. Loves being a helper of people. It's an acted out love for the stranger. As a characteristic, as kind of an overall thing. This is a person, this is a man who, who is aware of new people, aware of hurting people. Has his eyes beyond him and in the mirror and just straight ahead. He's aware of things that are taking on. And whether they're a friend or a stranger or a follower of Christ or a Christ hater. They're a helper of people. Why? Because Jesus was. Galatians 6.10, let's do good. Let us do good to all men. Second, he loves being about all that is good. He's a lover of good. He loves being about all that is good. A strong affection for that which is intrinsically good and befriends that which is godly and virtuous. Question, guys, A guy that is about all that is good is about all that is good in people and in things and in books and in movies and in entertainment and in hobbies and all kinds of things. It's about someone who is about good. They love good. They love to be the kind of person where good is all around them. I'm not saying isolate yourself from the world. No, be in the world, but not of the world. We are to be in the world and we're to be light to the world showing what it's like to be someone who can like relate and not be a dork and in life and live Christ as light, embracing good. That's what we're talking about. Third, he loves being on target. Loves being on target. The word here, self-controlled. A person that is in command of their mind. He has control of the things he thinks about and does, not allowing circumstances or immorality or foolishness to distract him. He's a mind on target for Christ. Here's what I'm talking about, 2 Corinthians 4.18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. The next passage, Matthew 26.39, the best example to me on someone on target. Jesus Christ in Gethsemane. The night of his betrayal, there he is praying. Oh, Father, take this from me. Listen, Christ, as a boy growing up in that place, in that time, had seen crucifixions before. He knew what was about to come to him. And the 100% man part of him is crying out, Oh, God, I don't want to do this. 
But then he responds, a mind on target. Not my will, your will. That's what this word's talking about here. Hey, that's tough living, isn't it? This is not easy. And we all struggle with this. Next word. Overseer loves being, I'm terming it, a reflector. A reflector. Someone who's upright or just, as the text says. Each of these words, by the way, these three, four words are so similar but yet unique. Uh, It's about doing that which is proper, right, and fitting because that's what Christ is about. It's similar to the previous term, but it has the external actions. But understand this, in the word of it, the word of it is, is I don't do it on the outside as well just because it's about me. I do it on the outside because I want people to see Christ. I do this to see something bigger, something better, something different than me. I'm a reflector. They love being a reflector. Five, an overseer loves being set apart. Set apart. The text says the word holy. I think oftentimes, gang, we have a hard time grasping this word. When you sing the song, holy, 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 or in the songs we sang earlier a couple times, the word holy came up. Think in your mind this, set apart. You see, because oftentimes we see the word holy as something that Jesus is. I would say that holy is referring to something that shows the placement reality. In other words, Jesus is perfect. He is sinless. He is God. All of that is true. And because he is all of that, the reality is is that he is set apart. The outcome of his perfection, the outcome of his sinlessness is that he is holy. And the holy is not just a broad, oh, that's cute and that's a nice word. The holy describes the separation reality. He is holy, completely set apart. And he says, be holy as I am holy. That means be set apart. Be someone who's not just pointing every stupid way everybody else is. Someone who's pointed towards him, fixed upon, set apart, different. An overseer loves being set apart. It's not like crud. It's like, yeah. Six, an overseer loves being held in check. The term here in the text is he's disciplined. But the focus here is, is with this word is he holds his mental, emotional, and sensual appetites in check. The, the first one, the, ref, uh, the, the, the self-controlled is in the mind. The, the reflector is on the outside. The holy is the condition of it all, the placement of it all. Here it's talking about someone who, who's, who's always watching himself in this whole process. In other words, I'm thinking back through the day. I'm checking myself. Wait a second. How did I just respond to my wife there? What was with that, Doug? Now what do I have to do? Oh, I guess I need to go ask forgiveness. Oh, no, that's like a bad thing to humble myself and make everything right before God. What a bummer. No, I'm okay with that. That's part of what I'm doing in the process. They love being held in check. The end of Psalm 139, 23 to 24, David says, Search me, O God, and know me. Try me if there's any offensive way in me. Let me know so I'll change. That's what we're talking about. A guy who lives life like that. Seven, loves being Velcroed to truth. (laughs) Velcro is a verb. Loves being Velcroed to truth. 
verse 9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. The word here is, it's, it could be used with anything, anything that someone adheres themselves to and clings themselves to is what it's referring to. It's a full devotion and diligence to God's word. In other words, it's like this. It's the person that's like, about this. Velcroed. And it's like, if I want to pull it away, you hear the, of the Velcro hook pulling away. Something like that. Luke 16, 13. No servant can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other or cling to one and despise the other. Psalm 119, 163. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. That's the idea. Wow. Now, right at this moment, you may be seeing, Doug, that stuff's impossible. No one can do that. Wait a second. Think about this. If God was asking for something that was impossible, that would not be fair. And not only would that not be fair, if he knew that this was impossible, he would know this would not be right to ask and expect this. And understanding this, as I talked earlier, this is about, this is not the person that has it all together. Well, Doug, they've got it all together. No, this is talking about the person whose 1 Corinthians 9, 27, Paul says, no, I beat my body and I make it my slave. This is hard stuff. This doesn't just happen. You're not going to go home, leave here this morning, go, oh God, please, I pray that you make me this way. Go home and like, make it happen. I'm waiting for it to happen. I'm just going to tell you, it's not going to happen. God has given you and I the word of God, the spirit of God, and the ability because of that to be able to implement these in our lives. Why is a person in this kind of place? The reason they're in this kind of place is because they are purposed. It's because they beat their body and make, it a, make myself a slave. Why? Because there's something way better than all this rigmarole going on out there. By the way, please don't think. It just comes easier to some. Doug, you have no idea what's taking place in my life. And maybe I don't, but by the way, God does. And again, may I remind you that the man writing this was a murderer of Christians? Well, as we wrap it, I'd like to leave it this way. You and I need to consider our home life. If you're married, what's going on in your home? By the way, singles, teens, guys, I forgot this. Singles, are you living like a one-woman man now? You should be. But I don't have a woman. No, no, no. Are you living like a one-woman man now in what you do with your thinking, with your time, with your speech around people? Because you are setting the pattern for the kind of husband you're going to be. Wives or single women, same thing. You and I need to consider our home life. Men, are you a one-woman man with embracing Christ's kids? That's what we should be going for. Uh, you and I need to consider whether or not we are not some things. 
Am I headstrong, hot-headed, a wine lingerer, a bully, greedy? I'd say, which one of these do you need to be growing in? Circle it and get after it. You and I need to consider whether we are some things. Am I a helper of people? Am I about all that is good? Am I on target? Am I a reflector? Am I set apart? Am I in check? Am I Velcroed to truth? What's one area in your life this week to get after? No one's there. The focus of the text is pursuing after with a life pattern that does display these characteristics. Together, guys, look at me. Guys, hundreds of men who are pursuing after these qualities. Hundreds here. Hundreds of men, as we're going to talk next week, that are living out the reality of an elder. May not be in that specific office, but they're living it out, shepherding people, loving people, leading people. That's what we're looking for. Ladies, wouldn't that be awesome? And ladies, you too. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you so much for the opportunity. Man, this is a heavy-duty text. And... uh, I had to labor in it all week. I had to be reminded of areas I need to be keeping after. Lord, I thank you that we can be here with these people, learning together, growing together, pursuing after you together. Lord, I pray for uh, the men here in particular. Lord, this world needs men like these. And God, would you encourage the men this morning? Maybe this morning is a realization, there's areas in their life that they've let go, that they're just excusing away, but it's time to step up to the plate because this isn't about stepping up to the plate for the purpose of being able to get in a position. This is stepping up to the plate because this is what honors and glorifies you. Lord, thank you for your patience with us and that you literally don't just burn us up. We are grateful. We are thankful for you, for each other. May this church be a full-throttle church because it has men that are full-throttle for Christ. May this church be a full-throttle church because it's filled with women that are full-throttle with Christ. For your glory, at your feet, in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen.